0: This morning at St. Thomas of Becket, we had a joint service with the German Lutheran Church to celebrate 500 years since the Reformation. Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk who became a university lecturer, was key in this Reformation. He noticed how the Church had become. um, Oh, sorry, I've gone. had implemented lots of extra rules for attaining salvation, like monks selling indulgences and people being granted time off purgatory for uh, going on pilgrimages to venerate the angel Gabriel's handkerchief or a stone that Mary trod on or something. So all these extra rules had been added into the church for for the people's salvation. And salvation became something that we earn rather than And by being good and working hard and of course all of us fall short of being able to achieve that we all fall short of that perfect holiness so rather being oh I'm so sorry I've done the font is too small and I keep getting lost and I can't change it now right so the Catholic Church had been adding in all these extra rules. Martin Luther had been studying um, and the scripture and was recognising that these rules didn't really fit with scripture. That actually we can't work to earn our salvation. We can't do lots of extra good deeds or be a really super good person in order to earn our salvation. But that um, actually salvation is a gift from God. And this was his uh, revelation, and Martin Luther sought to bring reformation within the church, new teaching, well, reformed teaching to the church to bring them back in line with scripture and away from all these distracted practices and uh, extra rules. But the point I've been reflecting on around the reformation was that Luther did not want to start a new church his heart was to see a reforming within the Roman Catholic Church by coming back to the uncomplicated grace of God. And this is the theme for tonight's sermon. This evening we are continuing our sermon series through the highlights of the book of Acts. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are at a pivotal point in the book of Acts, It's pivotal because it's in the centre of the book and pivotal theologically as well. And it holds the key to unlock our understanding of what it is to be saved from the effect of sin and the power of death. Here's a spoiler alert. We are saved by God's grace alone. His unconditional love for us through Jesus and not by anything we do or don't do. Hallelujah! Extraordinary, extraordinary news. So I want us to delve more into Acts 15. When I was given the preaching rota, I was delighted to see this topic. But I was somewhat amused when I saw which scripture came with it. Vicar Tim, in his wisdom, or mischievous sense of humour more like, has given me a passage about men speaking to their brothers. What about Acts chapter 15 verse 1? A <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> For us to be able to understand why this conflab about boys' bits is so pivotal in this book, we need to rewind to where God started talking about boys' bits. Hence, uh, we brought David in to read (laughs) to tell us. (laughs) Uh, David came to read from Genesis 17. So, In fact, for us to really understand anything from the New Testament, we need to learn from the Old Testament. Otherwise, it's like watching the final scenes of a film. You'll get the gist, but the richness and the depth of the narrative will be lost. And it's helpful for us to remember that the Old and New Testament is one story. It's about one and the same God on one and the same mission throughout. So let's rewind. We pick up the narrative when God has chosen Abraham to be the father of a chosen people in a chosen land. God speaks about his dream to Abraham and he sets it up as a covenant, as a binding promise. Now this is the second great covenant in the Old Testament so far. The first was following the flood when God makes a promise to Noah and to all of creation that he won't destroy the earth with another flood. And you will remember the visible sign to that covenant. Can you remember it? A rainbow. Lovely. Now this second great covenant to Abraham and his descendants is also marked with a visible sign. Well, visible to some, perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, It's not a pretty rainbow over the whole of creation, but it's minor surgery for chosen people. God is a mysterious God indeed. Circumcision was not just a sign, but it also served as a rite of passage into the covenant between God and Abraham. And this rite of passage into the covenant also included non-Israelites. When slaves were brought into the family, they too went, underwent this rite of passage. Lucky things into the covenant, and this, I think, is a key point for us understanding the act passage later. That non-Jews who were slaves who were brought into the, the family line had to undergo this rite of passage in order to be recipients of the blessing. It is also key for us to remember that the outworking of the covenant with Abraham and his descendants should be a blessing to all nations. God chose this people not to receive the blessing solely for themselves, but to be a blessing to all nations. This has always been God's heart, his mission. God speaks This extraordinary, mind-blowing dream to Abraham, an impossible, God-given dream. Abraham is already 99 years old with an elderly wife and God declares that he will make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations and will make abundant provision for him and for them. And what's Abraham's part in this contract? Circumcision. All that for just a snip. Well, not quite. Circumcision is just a sign, a reminder, a permanent reminder of a permanent covenant. It brings to mind uh, that old adage uh, measure twice, cut once. (laughs) Because once you've cut, it's permanent. (laughs) circumcision (laughs) stop talking on the front row circumcision is a reminder of what? verse 1 the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him I am God almighty walk before me and be blameless that is live in God's presence and do not sin This was the Lord's desire for his chosen people, to be set apart from worldly ways, to abide in his presence and to be more like him. It was his desire to restore that pre-fall relationship, how he designed us to be originally. Circumcision is a reminder of this call from God. The dream God spoke to Abraham will unfold. It continues to unfold to this day. Abraham is simply called to walk before God and be blameless. Simple. To know God's unconditional love and then just love. Simple. But historically difficult. Trying to achieve this became a work. Pharisees, priests and scribes responded by trying to help God's people to fulfil this expectation. They taught and tried to provide extra guidelines to help people to stick to the plan. These guidelines became laws and the laws just weighed the people down. Nobody seemed to be able to achieve it. And why did they try so hard? Well in verse 14 uh, in Genesis we read that God says any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Breaking the covenant does not terminate the covenant because God does not break his promise but it does mean the man is stepping outside of the promise. So fast forwarding back to Acts can you now see why it was such an issue in Acts 15? Remember, Jesus was a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. Those in sharp dispute were all circumcised Jews. The question is whether the foreigner being brought into the family through accepting Jesus as Lord should also be circumcised. For some, it was an obvious yes. Paul, as you will remember, was indeed a zealous Pharisee himself. He knew the law and had vehemently stuck to it and taught others to do the same. Barnabas, as we heard so clearly from Paul Wakely the other week, was also an anointed encourager, someone who helps people to walk in the presence of God's love and to be the best reflection of him that they can be. So why were they so opposed to the teaching to be circumcised? I believe it's because they were witnessing God embark on a reformation of his covenant. Not a breaking or changing, but a reforming back to the heart of his message and mission. In verse 3 in Acts We hear how Jews were delighted to hear of Gentiles being converted. This Abrahamic blessing was reaching out to all nations. We've already explored how the Holy Spirit was poured out on all who believed in Jesus as Lord. And most powerfully in this context, Peter stands up to testify. Peter, the rock on whom the church will be built, Peter who had the revelation that what God declares clean is clean, including Gentiles. Peter, who a little while before had had a Barney with Paul, and yet did not hold a grudge, but humbly backs up Paul and Barnabas. He testifies how God, who knows the human heart, testified to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, the Jews. So circumcision was a sign, a reminder to walk in God's presence and be blameless. Now, God's presence is in them as they walk. By their faith alone, they have been cleansed from blame by the blood of Jesus. By God's Grace alone, they are walking in God's presence and are blameless. God hasn't changed his call, just radically reformed the means, taking it right back to the pure heart of his mission of, of restoring relationship. By God's grace alone, we are walking in God's presence and are blameless. This is truly amazing grace. If this is the case, why are you adding extra rules? asks Peter. If God has achieved the end purpose by grace, why continue making a reminder, a sign, insisting people go back to living how they did before Jesus? It's absurd. It's like you're making them wear a heavy yoke for a work that doesn't need to be done. I'm sure you all know, but if we can get a bit of farming tuition in, then this is going to highlight my day. But I'm sure you'll know, a yoke is a wooden um, beam that is fitted across the shoulders of a person or an animal, not rabbits. David, don't get my rabbit wearing a (laughs) yoke. But if it's across a person's shoulders, it enables them to carry heavier weights because the weight is distributed more evenly. A yoke is a good, helpful contraption. It assists the person in their work by distributing this weight. At the time of the Gospel and Acts, a yoke was a well-known metaphor for the difficult but joyous task of obedience to the Torah, to the law. Rob Bell wrote about yokes, um, including this. A rabbi's set of rules and lists, which was really that rabbi's interpretation of how to live the Torah, was called the rabbi's yoke. One rabbi even said his yoke was easy. Ring any bells? That rabbi was Jesus when he said in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, of course, did give a law, a commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. That is his yoke. But for us to be able to bear that impossible commandment, he's given us the grace and his love to be able to bear it. This is only possible if we live in him and receive his love first. So an example, on July the 2nd this year I was ordained a deacon and it was for me evidence of God's grace in my life. That morning I put on this gold ring on my right hand and I've not taken it off since and I have no intention of doing so. It is for me a sign, a reminder, but not of my ordination. I deliberately put it on before the ceremony, You see, whilst I was discerning God's dream for my life, I looked at some ministers and um, they seemed tired and joyless. I'm sure you can't. I'm sure you've never met any like that. But (laughs) those are some that I had met. And I really didn't want to become like them. I didn't want ministry to become this heavy yoke that required all my strength to carry. I didn't want... To have it take the joy out of my relationship with the Lord. And I sensed God emphatically say that my primary and superseding call was to abide in the vine, in His love. That before all else and above all else, I am called to abide in God's love, to walk in His presence. And it is in the abiding that the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit he will unfold my God-given dream. That's the Spirit's job. I just have to remain in his presence and not try to get absorbed in working out this call and working out this presence of his ministry, but just be in his presence. And this ring is a reminder to me of this call and a way of me guarding myself from making the grace of ministry into a burdensome yoke. So it's all sorted now, isn't it? In Acts, Peter and Paul and Barnabas sorted out um, and reformed their understanding of the covenant. And then Martin Luther, after the church had gone astray, reformed that back into the true line of God's grace. So we live by God's grace and God's grace alone, right? Really? Would you believe it that even today, many people would like to do something so that they feel satisfied they earned their salvation? Today, I would suggest that we sometimes put yokes on one another. This is what Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing. Their intention was to help people to walk in God's presence and be blameless. I like to think that deep down their intention was loving but misguided. (coughs) Sometimes we do the same thing. Usually unintentionally we put yokes on others to help them be more acceptable Christians. Sometimes we put yokes on ourselves, thinking, if I were to do this, or if I were to be that, then I would be a more acceptable Christian, that I would be more acceptable to God and to one another. These are ill-fitting, heavy yokes, the wrong yokes, yokes that will restrict our freedom in the spirit and inhibit the expression of our gifts. We are saved by grace. He makes us acceptable without us doing or being anything other. When I was praying about this sermon, I asked God what yokes our family might be burdened with. And I think there are two to mention, but I know there will be others. And so at the end, we'll just take time to be still and listen to what yokes um, the Holy Spirit suggests that you might be wearing. We also have Holy Communion later and it will be a time to exchange that yoke for God's grace and to be restored a little more uh, to your relationship with God. The first yoke that I sense God talk about was to do with prayer. And I'm not meaning the desire to pray. The desire may feel weighty, but not burdensome and restrictive. I mean, the yoke can be those little rules we generate for ourselves about when we should pray, what we should pray, how we should pray. And if you find yourself comparing your prayer life in a self-condemning way to others, then I would suggest that perhaps you are carrying this yoke. We are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus. Just enjoy the grace and prayer will flow out of it. The second yoke to mention is a bit of a quirky one, but I sensed it quite strongly. Please weigh it up for yourselves. I think I sensed, in a very Anglican way, I think I sensed God say, even dreams... God's given dreams can become yokes. Even dreams, God's given dreams, can become yokes. A dream is evidence of God's grace. We've done nothing to earn it, yet God gives generously. He invites us to partner in his mission of love. Please hear me. I am not preaching against dreams. God shares some wild and impossible dreams. We heard what he had said to Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham. Before setting out the dream, God asked Abraham not to chase the dream, but to walk in his presence and be blameless. We are called to walk in his presence, abide in his love, There is only one lion we should pursue, the Lion of Judah, Jesus himself, the grace giver. Be careful. You don't find yourself carrying a yoke of working out your own destiny. When people wonder about what the next step in life should be in order to see their dream unfold, I think the answer is always the same. I think it is always to take one step closer to God. To abide in his love. To walk in his presence. Don't pick up a false yoke. By God's Grace alone, we are walking in God's presence and are made blameless. In a moment, we'll take an opportunity to share in one of the greatest signs of God's grace, Holy Communion. This is a sign that reminds us that Jesus fulfilled God's covenant. Jesus fulfilled the obligations of the law and broke the yoke of slavery to it. By believing in Him, we have been set free from the effect of sin and the power of death. And if tonight you want to commit your life for the first time to this God of grace, then I invite you to come forward at communion and myself or one of the team will gladly pray with you. May I invite you to um, well let's prepare our hearts in prayer. You don't have to, but I invite you to stand. Let's just close our eyes and sense what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to show each of us what yoke we are carrying what extra little rules we are imposing to be acceptable to please you to be saved in the message interpretation of scripture jesus says are you tired worn out burned out on religion Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.